Hey, good morning. How many of us are enjoying the 70 degree mornings? Come on. Come, fall, come, right? Man, after boiling all summer, the new weather patterns are just like, whoo, fresh air coming in. Uh, well, we are excited about this, this new series, and you received some glasses. We'll talk about that in a minute uh, as, as you walked in. But we are kicking off a new series called Oikos. And I know it's a weird word. We're going to explain that in a little bit. But uh, as we kind of get um, started with this, I want to ask, maybe you have seen some videos that were popular on YouTube, Instagram, other places. And it's of a guy that walks up to people that are driving exotic cars. And he asks what all of us kind of want to ask, but we don't have the courage, right? Like, what do you do for a living? Like, well, how are you driving that Bentley or whatever they're driving, you know? And they also have another version of where people walk up to people with mansions and they do the same thing. And they say, hey, what do you do for a living, right? And what's interesting, if you've watched these videos, is you get all kinds of answers, right? You'll get, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm in finance, I'm in real estate, I'm an entrepreneur, or whatever. And all kinds of different answers, and you're thinking, well, how are there that many diverse jobs paying that well? And how can I get one? Now, I don't know if that's what you're thinking, but you might be thinking like, wow, that's, that's interesting. But really what they have in common isn't their job, but really their mindset. If you talk to people that are financially successful, they have this winning mindset. They look at failure. They look at setbacks differently. They have this attitude that they're moving forward, even if they have a step backward. Uh, you might hear people give little talks, uh, little TED Talks about that kind of thing. And it's, it's kind of interesting, this, this, this mindset that people that achieve a lot in that world seem to have. And that's not the only group of people that really bring a mindset to, to life. I've talked to people who are really into fitness, and they seem to have a similar kind of mindset. It's, this is how they're looking at their, their diet, their, their workouts, their supplements. I was talking to one guy um, who was really fit, and he was talking about the, the counterintuitive role that rest plays in your fitness. I was thinking, I never thought you could you know, get jacked by sleeping. You know? But he's like, no, you need to really sleep. And if you don't, you could just be kind of wearing yourself out. Um, I've had the privilege of, of meeting a lot of people who've excelled in, in the academic world. I've, I've, I've had some exposure to different professors over my you know, journey with education. And they also have this really unique mindset. It's, it's, uh, they've just become experts in a field and they've really honed their, their minds and they've honed their, their lives in that direction. And, and it's really impressive. In fact, I, will, I would say, some of the most impressive people that you meet in life are people who are really clear about their mindset. They just really have a very clear vision of what they're about and what they're doing, and it, and it shows up. Yeah, they have this like clear lens. I would say that at times it's what you said, impressive, but if the lens is kind of neat, sometimes it's even inspirational. Like when you're around those fitness people, yeah. and even if it's just a few minutes, you walk away like, yeah. I'm going to drink a gallon of water a day, <laughs> yeah. right? I want what they want, right? That's inspirational. So starting off today, we want to kind of throw a question out to you. So what is your lens currently? How are you living life? Like, what are you looking through in all of your decisions, where you're going to go, what you're going to do? What is your lens? Uh, we have students in the room. So students in the room, sometimes when you guys were younger, your lens might have been like, is this fun? Is this going to be fun? Is this going to be fun? Or is it going to be hard? Like, everything is fun or hard, right? And then as your children start to grow up, I know in our house recently, the lens has been, how will this affect college? 
Will this help me get into college? Will this get me a scholarship for college? We talk about college all the time. And so that's our lens. But as you continue to grow and you start to get some life under you, you start to ask a question like, okay, this is great. What's my purpose? So I, my purpose is my purpose fitness? Is my purpose making money? Is my purpose, I might be really good at, I don't know, um, bicycling, right? Whatever your, your gifting is, what's my purpose? Well, it's kind of interesting because Jesus actually gave us a lens, glasses, so to speak, to put on. So some of you might have received glasses. Now, my daughter, when I told her about this, she's like, Mom, you got to use my pit vipers. <laughs> Because you know this is my style. <laughs> so I want you, if you guys got glasses, I want you to go ahead, take out your glasses, and I want you to put them on. Go ahead, put them on. Thank you. Those are her glasses. <laughs> so when you put on these glasses, come on, come on, put your glasses on. When you put on the glasses, it, it makes things darker. But can you see anything the same as what you saw it like before? No, right? Even if you tried, right? Everything you look at, you look at different. Now you can take them off for a minute because I don't want you to fall asleep. Um, <laughs> but what these are is Jesus, in a sense, he gave us a new lens to put on so that when we start to ask about our purpose or our gifting, he shows us that this lens is bigger than ourselves. We were given a purpose. We were given giftings for something so much bigger than ourselves. And we're going to call this lens or these glasses the kingdom lens. Yeah, that's right. The, the kingdom lens. I want to um, think about that for a second. You know, no matter what you really have found in life is maybe your purpose. And maybe when I was describing different ones earlier, you can resonate with some of that. When you really have the lenses that Jesus gives us, it keeps all secondary lenses in their proper place. I mean, really, if you're someone who just has a knack for making money, great. But when you have the kingdom lenses on, now making money is in service to the greater vision that God has for your life. If you're all about fitness, if you're all about relationships, if you're all about you know, making connections with people or academics, and you're, you're really gonna become an academic and really study and, and go in that field or, or, or solve the problems of cancer in the world or whatever it is you're going to do. Like, those are great. Have that focus. Put those lenses on. But when you met Jesus, he gave you these lenses and it changed everything. It keeps all secondary allegiances under the proper authority of Jesus, our King of Kings, right? And so we're talking about living life with this kingdom lens. And um, I want to show you a powerful statement that Jesus makes in the, at the end of the book of Matthew. And you've probably heard this if you've gone to church before, you've heard this, these, these verses before, but they really frame up our entire series of oikos, which we're going to get into. And these are powerful words because they're the last recorded words of Jesus in the gospel of Matthew. You know, the, the last things you tell people before you leave somewhere, or in this case, before Jesus ascends to heaven, they are sometimes the most memorable things you want to say. These are what you want people to, to, to remember as you, as you exit. And so look what Jesus does here in Matthew chapter 28. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, he says, so I have all this authority. I have defeated death. I have raised from the dead. Like I'm about to ascend to the father and sit on the right hand of power, right? That's what he's about to do. And he says, all authority has been given to me. And so then he says, therefore, and here it is, go. He's, he, it's like the, the most powerful words that you could hear from Jesus. He says, therefore, go 
and make disciples. Now, if you've followed the gospel stories, if you read the account of Jesus with his disciples, this is expected because this is how he started his, his interactions with his disciples. When he first met Peter, he tells Peter, Peter, I'm gonna make you a fisher of men. Like you've been fishing for fish, I'm changing your life. Like our relationship is gonna take your life in a different direction. And so that Jesus would tell his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations is consistent with the relationship that he built with them over the years he was with them. He's constantly sending them out and they're coming back. And, and now it's this final commission. And he says this, he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. Guys, I just want you to think of this mic drop moment with Jesus and these disciples. He has spent all these years with them. He has performed miracles after miracles. He's crucified on the cross. He's resurrected. And now he looks at his disciples and he says, now go. The world waits the message of this good news. And I'm going to be with you always. Talk about a mic drop. Right. Yeah. And a great commission. So I grew up in church. And if any of you have grown up in church, you might have heard the great commission often. And sometimes when you hear something over and over, you almost become like immune to it. Like, yeah, the great commission. That's a great idea. Right. right. Uh, but it's not until recently that the Lord began to really stir in my heart that this great commission is great. Like, really great. And as I started thinking about it, the first thing is, it's just like Brad just shared, it was given from Jesus. So sometimes we find ourselves saying, Lord, I just want you to tell me what's your will. Jesus made it super clear. That's not something you have to pray about. He said, go and make disciples. That's my will. So I was thinking about that and having this conversation with Jesus. And I was like, okay, you said go and make disciples, but then you said all nations. Guys, that's great. I was thinking, okay, but I don't like to talk to people sometimes, even people I know. <laughs> no, that sounded horrible. But uh, I don't necessarily like to talk to people all the time, and I'm not really bilingual by any stretch of the imagination. And last time I was up here being able to share with you guys, I talked about my battle of insecurity. So how are you going to use me to get all nations. That's kind of overwhelming and intimidating. Yeah. Now, so I have that thing happening, right? That greatness. But then there's also the greatness of the weight of it. So you think the God of the universe has this mm. awesome invitation, this good news, and he's entrusting us right. to tell the nations with it. Guys, that's amazing. So then it led me to a question. Okay, God, I'm going to obey. I'm going to do this. But what is my intentional plan to lead people in the transforming love of Jesus? Because if I don't have an intentional plan, I just have good dreams and good ideas and good intentions that lead to nothing, nothing at all. I need a plan. So I was like, okay, God, I'm going to put on these kingdom lenses, right? I'm going to look at everything different. But then I start to get overwhelmed and intimidated. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. There's been times in my life where I just try and take the lenses off. And I just try and ignore that I was called to the nations. And the closer I get to Jesus, though, the more I realize that his heart is to reach other people. So I can't, I can't take them off. I can't ignore it anymore. So I'm like, okay, God, I'm ready. But now the question is, how? 
how am I yeah. going to do this? Yeah, that's, that's great. And I do agree about the intimidation factor. You know, you just feel like, and, and I think sometimes that is so overwhelming. We just, we don't even think we can be a part of that. There is a story that's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke the so-called synoptic gospels that really, I think, help almost bring the Great Commission to this kind of individualized, uh, almost doable scope. Like, I can right. do that. Yeah, and, and I want to look at Mark's version of it because Mark is it's just so vivid in the gospel of Mark. It's powerful stuff, you guys, about what Jesus is going to do to cha- transform an entire community. Uh, so let's, let's, let's dive in. So Mark chapter 5 Let's read the story. It says, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerizines. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. This is like supernatural power, right? No one was strong enough to subdue him. That's really kind of key for our story here. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So as I said, Mark does a really good job, a vivid description of this person's condition, right? In fact, when you add Luke and you add Matthew's version, you find out there's actually two men that are in this condition, okay? So kind of stitching that together. So I want you guys to picture this for just a second, right? So we have this, this, this travel that Jesus takes. He crosses the, the, uh, the lake, the Sea of Galilee. We're going to look at that in a second. He enters this area. He just gets off the boat and he's immediately confronted with this demonized man, this man that is suffering. I mean, if there's ever a description of someone who's under the power of evil. I mean, this man's description, it just fits it, right? He is, he, just think about his life. He lives of all places in, in a cemetery. I mean, if, if Mark wanted to draw a picture of what life under the power of the enemy looks like, I mean, here it is. He's living a life dominated by death. I mean, he's just reminded of the death, the death life that he kind of, the death existence, I guess you could say, that this man is, is living. At night, you know, the nearby villagers are hearing of a howl at night. And they're, they're imagining him cutting himself. They're, they, they're, they know of, this, of these demonized men that live in that cemetery and they're howling at night and they're crying out and they're cutting themselves. And it is just a, a vivid description. And I think for a second here, I wanna just, I wanna stop and I wanna just ask a question. Like, is there something about this man's story that you can empathize with? with? I mean, I'm not saying that we live in the tombs and we feel that, you know, but, but honestly, behind our smiles, behind our, our perfumes and our colognes and our, maybe our, our, our nice homes, if people only knew, right? I mean, if people only knew the, 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 the things that we're carrying, or maybe, maybe not us, because we have met Jesus and we're talking about that today, but, but people that we interact with, if people only knew. What our, what our homes were like, what our past was like, the, 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 the things that we battle in our minds, like right? maybe past abuses and traumas that are like chains around us that keep us feeling like we're walking in the cemetery of life, right? Like there's no hope. And that, that's just this vivid description. And so this, this man who has that experience, he sees Jesus. Jesus has entered his world. This is really key. Jesus has come to his, his 
part of the, of the, the neck of the woods, right? It says that when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice. So this isn't a normal conversation. This is a showdown between good and evil. This is a showdown between the son of God and someone who's been demonized for years. And this is a powerful like showdown. Last week, we talked about um, the, the fact that Jesus, so to speak, kind of declared war at Caesarea Philippi. If you were here last week, we talked about this, that, that Jesus, he, he commissions his disciples. He asks his disciples, like, who do you say I am? And um, at that final confession where Peter says, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, right? Remember that, that declaration that Peter makes. It's at Caesarea Philippi. We looked at that last week and the battle line between good and evil was drawn. And Jesus says, hey guys, good news. I, I believe he had like a twinkle in his eye. The gates of Hades are not going to prevail. Mm-hmm. Like we're going to win this thing. Come on. And then how many of us need to hear that this morning? How many of you need to hear we're going to win this thing? Because sometimes it doesn't look like we're going to win this thing. Sometimes that loneliness, that anxiety, that depression doesn't look like we're going to beat this thing. But get, let me introduce you to someone who's stronger than your depression. Let me introduce you to someone who's stronger than your illness. Someone who has death and hell and the keys in his hands and he has defeated them. He snatched them from the enemy who's tried to destroy us. That's who we're talking about this morning. And you know what, guys? The devil knows it. Look at the story. <laughs> at, the, at the top of his voice, this demonized man shouts, what do you want with me? Jesus, son of the most high God. That's very interesting because in the book of Mark, the identity of Jesus is relatively hidden, right? It's kind of like, you know, people aren't sure who he is. Is he a rabbi? I mean, is he, you know, he's doing these miracles. There's no question in this demon's mind or these demons, as you're going to find out, who this is. This is God's son. Like God himself has invaded our turf and the enemy is not happy about this. He is shouting at Jesus. And then he says, Jesus, uh, most son of the most high God, in God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus, it says in verse eight, had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He says, my name is Legion. He replied, for we are many. Now, this might not actually be the demon's name. It might be more of a title because legion was a, was a title of, it's a Roman term for, uh, for a regiment of soldiers numbering 6,000 and 120 uh, cavalrymen. So when the demon answers in this way, this kind of indicates that this isn't just a single entity, but a nest of demons that have infected this man's consciousness and probably two men. And so at this showdown between good and evil, we are seeing the son of God confronting evil. Let me, can I just, can I just talk about something right here? Because I think sometimes we are lured into this idea that good and evil are, are just kind of, you know, somebody else's problems. And I'm not dealing with maybe this kind of situation. And, and you know, it's something for Hollywood and for the movies and, and this whole idea of a demon-possessed person. Guys, can I explain something? That our Western point of view sometimes blinds us to spiritual realities. Yeah. Just because we live in the West and we have a hard time believing in demons and things, and we can laugh at, you know, this kind of idea. Friends, do you understand that in most countries, today, 
The people there understand darkness and they understand the fact that the evil can nest in a person's heart. And we might diagnose it all sorts of ways in the United States, but that doesn't change the fact that we have a real enemy who's trying to devour us. And sometimes evil gets personified and demons are in a person's life and they have no power over them. But good news, come on somebody. We have a Jesus who's stronger than them. We're gonna beat this thing. Look, it says in verse 10, it says, he begged Jesus again, not to send them out of the area. And then in verse 11 is interesting because now that kind of the camera pans to a herd of pigs that are feeding on nearby hills. That's interesting because that tells us clearly that we aren't in a Jewish area. There's no way that a Jewish town would have pigs feeding nearby. This is, this is indicating that we're in a Gentile area of, of, of Palestine that Jesus and his disciples had intentionally entered. And so there are these pigs here. And so all of a sudden, like the camera pans over to these pigs. And so we see in verse, um, hit verse 12, it says, the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs and allow us to go into them. And so you have this kind of request. Verse 13 says, he gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this to the town and the countryside and the people came out to see what happened. Now, I want to I talk about that for a second because... This is where some of the kind of curtain gets drawn back for a minute. Because you have this encounter between Jesus and this man. You have this demon, demonized man and he's, he's asking Jesus not to torture him. He realizes the power that he's dealing with. He realizes that Jesus has authority over him. And this is like this showdown. And Jesus allows this, 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 you know, this demons to go into these pigs. Again, in our Western view, we're thinking about these poor pigs and we're thinking about all the bacon that's in the water now. And we're like, what's going on with that, right? But the truth of the matter is, in the, in the original audience, they wouldn't really have considered the pigs. That's not a big deal, especially to Jews. They don't care about the pigs. What's really the issue here is evil is being unmasked. Evil is being unmasked in this story. What, the, what these demons want to do more than anything, what they lust to do is to destroy. They have a craving to decreate to disassemble, to destroy. And sometimes I, th I think this is a tactic of the enemy to disguise his true desires because we don't really think that evil is actually that bad. We kind of think we can make deals with the devil. We kind of have even stories about making, listen, there is no dealing with the devil. He has one goal. He has one aim that is to destroy you, to steal from you, to lie to you and to destroy you. Period. End of story. That's all there is. That's what he wants to do. That's what he's trying to do to your kids. That's what he's trying to do to our nation. That's what he's trying to do to you and everyone you love. He has one desire. Are we clear on that church? That's good. That is exactly what we're up against. That's why, guys, when we walk into the spiritual battle, like we talked about last week, without any kind of awareness of what's happening, like we're gonna get destroyed. There is a lion and he's trying to eat you. Like you can't play with it. Stop trying to pretend that you can somehow be the exception to the rule of the human race. Like I can give in to that temptation. I can play with that sin. I can kind of go just so far and I can tell you when I can stop. 
Yeah, right. Says all the dead bodies that lay in the wake of the devouring lion. Are you here this morning? Do you see why we need Jesus this morning? Guys, there's, there's not like a middle ground here. Like, I'll just kind of like, like Jesus, you know, and I'll kind of like, like Satan because, you know, somehow we've gotten this idea that anything Satan has has kind of got this fun with it. So I kind of want to have fun over here, you know, and then when I, when I need Jesus, I can jump back over here. Guys, that isn't, that isn't the way it works. You're talking about a devouring lion that has a wake of corpse in his, in his fast. But I want to turn to the, to the story, how it turns now. This is, this is so beautiful. And you, if you came to church today and you just need some hope, guys, there's great hope in this story. Look, look at what happens next. Look what happens. They saw these, these are the, the, the they, there are the village people coming in, you know, from the town. And they, they come to Jesus and they see the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. And notice the description now. He's sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They used to be afraid of the devils. And now they're afraid of this man. And now they're afraid of Jesus. I mean, you're going to see this, like, this fear theme in this text. This is really interesting because this man who used to be moaning and crying and cutting himself and terrorizing the town that no one could help this man is now completely transformed by the love of Jesus. Jesus doesn't turn away from a man who's repulsive to everybody else. He doesn't say, oh, that guy's, that guy's out of his mind. I just want to go the other direction. Jesus confronts this man's pain and he puts his finger right on the hurt. And he says, I'm here to set you free. There's not anything you've done that's too disgusting for me. There's not any shame that you've carried that I no longer want to have anything to do with. Jesus says, I've come for this purpose. I've come to set you free. And the evidence is all over this story. He's now sitting in his right mind. I was, I was thinking, where did he get his clothes from? I wonder that, right? Like that's kind of, because he didn't have clothes. Obviously he's kind of running around half naked or whatever. You know, and it, the text clearly says he's dressed. I wonder if one of the disciples clothed him. I wonder if in that moment, you know, as this transformation's happening, you kind of see the church at work. Man, Jesus comes into this man's life and now they're, they're all, hey, here, I got some firm. Let's all put a wardrobe together. Let's clothe this guy because he's been transformed by Jesus. Guys, that's what we get to do. That's the business of the church of Jesus, to clothe the naked, to help the hurting, to bring the transforming love of Jesus. Oh, so good. Guys, there's such power in that. I believe that many in this room have probably experienced that freedom where you experienced the transforming love of Jesus and it changed your life. And that might have been just a few months ago or a few years ago, but how many times when we've experienced that freedom do we walk right back into our chains? Like, we're like, yep, chain me up again. And we get right back to where we are. But Jesus is right there, walking right with us. And at a moment's notice, he can set us free. All we have to do is ask. And if we look at the story, if we move on with the story, it says, 
that those who had seen it told the people what happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well because they just lost 2,000 pigs. I just want to remind you of that. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region and see what Jesus, is do- Jesus does in verse 18. He says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, I just want to pause there for a second. These people come, they see their pigs gone, but they see this man completely clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And they said, Jesus, whoever you are, could you please go? And look how awesome our Savior is. Jesus leaves because they didn't want to hear right now what Jesus has to say. But the man who was just healed, he's like, oh, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. He goes up to Jesus and he's like, let me follow you. Let me go with you. But Jesus answers in such a weird way, different than what he has said in the past with other disciples. Jesus did not let him, but he said, go home. And we're going to stop right there for a second, because if you take this word home and you look at it in the Greek, that word is oikos. He said, go home, go to your oikos, go to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has mercy on you. He sent him home because your oikos, he knew that This man, his testimony was powerful. Guys, a transformed life has power. They didn't want to hear Jesus, but God knew that if he was to send this man home, that his life would tell them all about Jesus, guys, because he gave him a testimony and he gave him an assignment that that man could do. I can go home. I can tell them about my testimony. But Jesus also realized that the town needed his testimony. That's what the town needed to see. Yeah, that's so powerful. And I love how the next part of this verse goes, go to verse 20. It says, so the man went away. So he's been commissioned by Jesus. This is kind of the great commission, right? He's now commissioned by Jesus. Jesus told him to go home. So the man went away and he began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And the people were, let's all say it. Amazed. amazed. The Decapolis are these 10 cities, that are Gentile cities that are just outside of the borderlands of Israel. And so Jesus, check out his love, right? He's entering into the devil's turf and he's like, ain't no such thing as the devil's turf when I'm on the land, right? Like I can bring the good news into any place. I'm not afraid of the devil's turf. I'm gonna march into the devil's territory and bring the freedom and the good news of Jesus, of the kingdom into this area. And so he radically transforms this demonized man or two guys and they are sent into the Gentile world. I love that so much, you guys, because that tells me that God cares for all people, that God doesn't play favorites that he's going to take a person and he's going to say, look, I'm going to take you, transform you and send you into the very world you came from because it's in that world, your testimony is going to matter all the, all the more. How many of you guys have heard someone's powerful testimony? And they, they, maybe there's people who are known to travel around the country and talk about their life before they met Jesus. Maybe they were like in the mafia or something, you know, and you're like, well, that's a pretty cool story. But what if you actually knew that guy when he was in the mafia, you know? What if that was the story? It wasn't some stranger you're meeting at a conference, but he's actually the guy that you grew up with, that used to do drugs with, or that used to hang with. And now he's a completely different person because he met the transforming love of Jesus. So powerful. So by a show of hands, time for participation. 
who in here has been introduced to the transforming love of Jesus, either by a friend, a family member, a teacher, a pastor, someone that you would consider close? Go ahead and raise your hand. Like you knew the person. Awesome. Look around. Guys, over 95% of people who have chosen to follow Jesus were introduced to him by someone that they would consider close. My hand is raised. My dad introduced me to the transforming love of Jesus. My mom talked about it. My kindergarten teacher talked about it all the time. And that is what we're going to really focus on these next few weeks as we unpack the word oikos. So what is an oikos? An oikos is the 8 to 15 people that God has providentially put in your life, in the front row of your life, for you to disciple, to pray, to be that image bearer for Jesus. Before we dive into that a little bit, right now I just want you to start thinking, okay, so who's in my oikos? Who's in my world? Who are the 8 to 15 people that know me? The teacher, the co-worker, the barista you see every day, your neighbor that you see two or three times a week when you're pulling into your garage. As you start asking, we got to see the end of the story. This is the most exciting part. So as you start thinking about that, we're going to actually pick up the story in Matthew. If you continue in Mark towards the end of chapter 7 and into chapter 8, it tells you that Jesus, after he did this, he went back over Galilee. He performed miracles. A couple weeks later, probably a couple months actually, uh, he goes from Sidon and then he crosses the Sea of Galilee, and we're going to pick up the story in Matthew 15. It says, Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside. So now he's back in Decapolis. He came back and he sat down. Now look, great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. And then it goes on to say, the people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Guys, last time Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee and went to Decapolis, who met him? two demon-possessed men, and he changed their lives. This time, he crosses the Sea of Galilee, and who was there to see him? A crowd of people. How did they know? How did they know who he was? How did they know to bring people to him? Because one and probably two men had a transformed life, and they went home to their home, and they went home to their oikos, because Jesus says, no, don't follow me to mine. You'll go to yours. You go to the home where people know your junk, where people know what you were like, and you show them the change that I've made because you're different. And when they did that, they're like, okay, tell me about this Jesus. And they go, I don't know everything. I don't know all the theology, but I know what I was and I know what I am. And he's good. And it transformed their life, guys. And so then they shared. And then their lives were transformed. And they went to their oikos, their home, and they shared. And on and on it went. And there was a crowd of life change. So here's our big idea today. We are called, the church as a whole, the church is called to reach the whole world. But guys, you and I, we're responsible for my world. I'm responsible for the 8 to 15 people Jesus put in my life. You're responsible for the 8 to 15 people Jesus put in your life. So, yep, we gave you a a nice pair of sunglasses. Not as nice as these, but... 
This week, when you see these, these glasses, this is your kingdom lens. We want you to put your kingdom lens on and start to pray. Okay, God, who's in my oikos? Who's in my world that you want me to be intentional about your good news, your transforming love? It's a big commission, guys. It's a great commission. But this week, we're going to start with step one. And step one is just pray. Pray for the Lord to show you who's in your world. Would you guys stand with me? With your head bowed and your eyes closed, we want to end our service with just a vision of what could be in your minds. What would happen here at the church at Lake Mead if everyone put on their kingdom lenses? Whatever you're known for right now, maybe you're known for making a lot of money. Maybe you're known for just your, your incredible, you know, just abilities with, you know, uh, whatever you, you do for a living. Maybe you're known and you have a reputation in that world. But what if we collectively were all known for how we make disciples? What if that were the thing we were known for? What if we were known for the fact that we are really good at bringing people to the transforming love of Jesus? What if that the entire city just started to just feel the, the change, the temperature change in the, in the room as disciples of Jesus are unapologetic in their invitation to the one who can transform their lives? What if that's what you were known for? What if that's what we were known for? Maybe you're here this morning and you really can identify with the man in our story today. Maybe you were here this morning and you're at this low point in your life and you feel like you are living in the tombs and cutting yourself and howling at the moon. And maybe you have so much shame that you just don't think Jesus would ever want anyone like you. Today's story contradicts that lie. He's very much interested in you. Your life is not over. Come on. There's somebody I'm talking to right now. Your life is not over. The king of kings, the creator, the one who knows everything about you, he is not done writing your story. You could be this transformed life that becomes a trophy of grace that goes into the dark places that you know very well. And you could see light in those dark places that you've been because you've been transformed by the King of Kings. Who else better to bring the good news to those people than you? Because that's where you were. Maybe you're here this morning and you need that hope. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to let Jesus be your King. You, you need to just surrender your life to the King of Kings and you need to bow your knee to King Jesus right now. In just a moment, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call everyone here to some decisions about this sermon. But maybe for you, it's the decision to follow Jesus for the first time. Guys, if you are here and I can barely see you, but I'll look out there and you're like, you know what? That's me. I need a change in my life. I'm ready for a change. I want you just to lift your hand. If that's you right now, I need a change in my life. I'm ready to meet Jesus. This takes a big step, but that's okay because Jesus is calling us out of light, light out of the darkness into the light. So if that's you, raise your hand up. Who, who's that? There's some of you out there, raise your hands. I need Jesus in my life. If I could have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I wanna to talk to the whole group right now, no matter where you're coming from. And I want right now for you to wrestle with this question. When the end of your life comes, what will you have been known for? When it's all over 
and they're, and they're talking about your life at your funeral, what will they say about you? Will you be known as someone who lived full out for the kingdom of God? Will you give your complete yes to Jesus today? We're gonna have people up here with our prayer team and I'm gonna invite you in just a minute as Carolina sings over us. Maybe some of us wanna just dedicate our life in a new way to that kingdom. We're gonna put those glasses on and we're gonna be intentional about living the kingdom life. Maybe that's you today and that's gonna start right now. And my final word for anyone else in this room is simply this. Maybe there's people in your life that you just feel very burdened for right now. You know them and they're in those tombs. They're walking in darkness and they need the hope of Jesus and they're just on your heart. And maybe you wanna come forward this morning and that will be why you come and, and you come to pray. But I wanna I want give our church a moment to pray. In fact, maybe you just gather with the people you came to church with, but I want us to pray right now for God's kingdom to come. I got one more thing to say and I wanna just say this clearly to everyone here because Jesus said this. He said that if you seek first the kingdom, all these things will be added to you. You might've been sitting in this sermon today thinking, well, Brad, that's great to have these kingdom glasses on, but I got a mortgage to pay and I don't know how I'm gonna pay it. I've got things in my life that just are dominating me and I, I might want to live this kingdom life, but I just constantly worry about all these things. In that same place in Matthew 6, Jesus says, the birds of the air have what they need and the, and the, and the lilies of the field are clothed even better than Solomon was. In other words, if God can take care of the birds and the, and, the, and the flowers, he can take care of you. You just, you just worry about the kingdom. Let the king of kings take care of your needs. So I don't know why you might come to, to pray this morning, but we have our prayer team up here and I'm gonna just like Carolina sing over you. But I do believe we need to respond to this message. This is a holy moment. Father, May the hearts of the people in this room be tender to the voice of the good shepherd. May they surrender to Jesus. Those who are lost, may they be found today. Those who are hurt and hopeless, may they discover the hope of the good news today. Lord, may our loved ones that we worry about, may they, may they hear the voice of the shepherd even through our lips as we speak to them. In Jesus' name.